to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Let us hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew 27, verses 36 to 44. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Forty days. Just imagine, for example, that for that entire 40 days and 40 nights, it had been raining, raining nonstop all day long. You're stuck inside your house and you just hear the, the, the rain drops beating down on your house. Day in, day out, night in, night out. Imagine if there's not just rain, but a huge storm going on and you're in lockdown and not just most of the time, all of the time. You cannot set foot out of your house even for a moment. And then imagine furthermore that it is not the nice house you're in now, but it is cramped. It is dark. You're in constant motion. The air isn't very good. It smells. You have no internet. You have no smartphones. You have no phones at all. You have no TV. You have no novels to read. You have nothing. Just day in, day out sitting that crammed dark quarters, the rain beating on your uh, roof and being tossed around and doing a lot of hard work. And that's about it. It's drudgery. It's boredom. And most of all, it is knowing that the world that you knew when you set foot in here is not just being changed forever. It's being destroyed. And then finally the rain ends. The storm subsides, but you're still in lockdown for almost a year because there's nowhere to land. There's just water. You are in a water world and you have to wait and wait. And it's almost another full year before you can actually land and finally step out of that dark, cramped quarters and you step out to a new world. The waters are receded. You get off. You're finally back in the sunlight. You're finally back on firm ground and you find that everything's changed. You look around and other than the animals running off the ark with you, there's nothing. There's nobody. And you know that you and your family are the last people on earth and you have to build a new world. Just imagine that. And then understand for some people it wasn't imagination. It really happened to Noah and his family. You might have seen cute little uh, children's storybooks of Noah. It looks so quaint and such a cute uh, story. There's Noah standing on the deck and there's all those friendly animals all smiling. It's such a cute story. You could have like children's play sets of Noah's Ark. I, we used to have one in our family when we were little. And again, this cute little story going on. 
But it's not a cute story. It really isn't. It is serious, serious business when God's wrath is poured out on the sin of mankind. We don't like to talk about that. Even in church now, we don't like to talk about that. We do not want to talk about the fact that God is holy and God does not tolerate sin. And God is merciful and he offers you chance after chance after chance. But sooner or later, his wrath will come. And what is he going to think of those of us who didn't warn people about this? It's a very serious business. Now, when I was little, I heard the cutesy story many, many, many times. Something funny happened back when I was 13 years old and I was watching TV and a commercial came on and the commercial was for a movie done by Schick Sun Classics, one of the series they were doing in those days. It was called In Search of Noah's Ark. And the, the commercial was talking about how the search is on to find the remains of Noah's Ark, talked about certain flyers who'd gone over in the mountains in Ararat and had seen remains of the ark, explorers who'd gone up there and actually found pieces of wood and brought it down. What startled me, though, wasn't the details as the fact that I sat and said, wait a minute. You mean some people think this story is real? Because up to that point, it was just a story, a cutesy little story like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or Pinocchio. Nobody bothered to mention in Sunday school that this was real history. And that's where it actually started me on this path of looking into the Bible and, and thinking whether it's, uh, it's real or not. Uh, but this story, one of the real stories, is perhaps one of the most attacked stories in the entire Bible. Skeptics will ask you things like, well, how could Noah possibly bring all those animals on the ark? How could Noah, primitive little man, build an ark that size, 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 50 feet high. How could they survive for a whole year in there? What are they going to do for food? Where's the fresh water? How could the entire globe ever have been covered with water? So no evidence, no geological evidence that the earth ever was covered in water. It's not possible. There was no worldwide flood. There's no evidence for it. And these are the kind of charges we hear. And they're even... A significant number of Christians who will question the story of Noah's Ark and, and tell us, you know what, the entire world wasn't covered. It was, it was just a local flood. Yeah, a big one, but just a local one. That, that, that's all. And these are the kind of challenges you face. Here, here's one example of how it's put very typically. It's a comparison between the Titanic and Noah's Ark. If you look at the comparison, look, look how much bigger Noah's Ark was. Arcs are 45 or 50 feet high. The Titanic was 110 feet high. It's much longer, 882 feet to 450. It's wider, 92 to 75. Modern ship built of steel, whereas the, the Ark was built out of gold for wood. And look at what was on the Titanic, 3,547 people and enough food and water for two weeks. We're supposed to believe that this much smaller boat built out of gopher wood, held eight people, 17,400 birds, 12,000 reptiles, 9,000 mammals, 5,000 amphibians, 2 million insects, and enough food and water for all of them for a year. No way. Heard that kind of uh, challenge before? You probably have. And it sounds formidable when you first hear it. But when you read the Bible more carefully, you see this isn't really such an issue at all. Two million insects, 5,000 amphibians on. No, 
the Bible did not have to carry all of those things. This comes from an error of equating modern species with what the, the ark had to carry, and two, overlooking the fact that many of these creatures didn't have to be on the ark at all. God told Noah to bring on all the land-breathing animals, all that had breath in their nostrils. The insects aren't even there, so you can drop two million of them right there, many of the amphibians and so on. The second thing to understand is the Bible talks about kinds of animals. If you go back to Genesis 1, God made animals according to their own kind. Well, what is a kind? A kind is not a species. We know from now genetic studies that species are animals from a, a particular group that have certain phenotypical similarities. But each of these species actually represents a loss of genetic data from the original ancestor. We now know that all these dog types, including wolves, fox, and so on, they all descended from one original wolf ancestor. So Noah did not have to bring all of these on the ark. This is what he brought on, was just that original created kind. They have to figure out how many created kinds there were and only of the sort that Noah had to bring and how big was the ark and could it carry everything? And the answer is this. These calculations were done by an engineer. If you look at the size of the ark, you see that its internal carrying capacity would be over 2 million cubic feet. So it'd be about the equivalent internal volume of 770 standard stock railroad cars. If you ever seen 777 standard stock railroad cars, you know how big that is. Or one time I was stuck at a, a crossing, a railway crossing, train is going by. Usually it's just one of these little go trains with like 12 cars, but this one wasn't, it was a freight train. I was sitting there and watching them go by and I was watching and watching and waiting and waiting and I was counting one, two, three. And we sat there, it was a long time. And 120 trains went by, 120. It took a very long time, huge, huge volume. But this is 777, it's not 120. Now, how many animals would have had to take on the ark, assuming he's taking the land dwelling, air-breathing, created kinds. Well, Ernst Mayer is a very famous taxonomist and a standard evolutionist. He figured out that there would have been this many, 17,600 different types. Even if you assume that half of them are clean, we need seven of each of those, uh, half of them are unclean, we need two of each. The total number of animals would have been 79,200 animals. Assume the average size is equal to a sheep, which actually, if you look at the animal kingdom, is actually bigger. On average, they're smaller than that. But if you assume that each is equal in size to a sheep, and your standard two-deck stock car can carry 240 sheep, so how many stock cars would you need to carry this many animals? 79,200? 330. 330 stock cars. How many, how much space do you have in the ark? The equivalent of 777. So 43% of the ark plan, that's all that was needed to hold all the animals. See, people make challenges against the Bible, and nine times out of 10, or maybe 99 times out of 100, they've never thought it through. They've heard a challenge, they've passed on, they've not bothered to do their own work. 43%. 57% of the ark, well, it wasn't empty. You needed to hold food, right? They said that, they mentioned food, fresh water, waste disposal. If you're interested, the absolute best study on this issue. It's written by a Dr. John Woodmoroff, uh, Noah's Ark of Feasibility Say He goes through every single possible angle, up to and including waste disposal. 
and the buildup of methane gases. And so he covers everything. And he calculated 15% of the interior volume would have been needed for food, 9.4% for drinking water. What does that come to? 24.9%, add that to the 43, uh, you got 67.9%. One third, almost one third of the ark was empty when Noah departed. And what was Noah doing before that? How long did it take him to build the ark? About 120 years. That's because 120 years for him and his family to build the ark. So yeah, it's a big thing, but you got 120 years, you can do it. And what was he doing? The, the New Testament tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he was warning people. He was telling them about God. He was warning them about God's wrath to come. Any single person, every single person on the face of the earth could have believed, could have trusted God, could have faith in God, listened to his message, and there was plenty of room on the earth to take them all. And at the end of the day, when the floodwaters came, as Jesus said, only Noah and his family. And people said, oh, it was so mean to other people. They had 120 years to come. They didn't. Not God's fault. God does not force anyone to be saved. He offers it. It's up to you to take it. And if you turn your nose up at it, don't blame God. And so those challenges against the ark are, are bogus challenges. There are others. They will tell you something like this. If say there's not enough water to cover the entire surface of the earth, Christian apologists will tell you, and rightly so, that the earth's surface was much flatter in those days. You didn't have those really high mountains. These mountains were actually pushed upwards while the flood was happening, the floodwaters were receding, and so on. We read in the Bible how the fountains of the deep were broken open, so these massive cracks in the earth's crust and so on. But this fellow will say, well, but look at this. Let's assume that the, the earth is, was flat at the time. All of the land was flattened. You'll see that above the sea level, and the seas will have an average depth of 3,790 meters, and the land above it on average is 840 meters above sea level. He said if you melt all of the fresh water that's held in the glaciers and the ice caps, if you melt it all, the sea level would rise about 70 meters. So it can't cover everything. You still have another 770 meters to go. Noah's Ark is wrong. Fate couldn't have covered the earth. Does that sound like a good argument to you? Well, it really isn't because you know what? This assumes that the only place you have water from is from the uh, glaciers and ice caps. It really isn't. Well, we've discovered, this is from 2014, so this isn't even a, an old, old discovery, is that under the crust of the earth, you have reservoirs of water that hold three times as much as the earth's current oceans on the surface do. So if all that water came to the surface, the earth's the water level wouldn't rise 70 meters, it would rise like 15,132 meters. That's enough to cover that 770 meter gap almost 20 times over. So yeah, there was plenty of water. So another challenge from the skeptics, debunked. Here's another one. This, this is one from the Guardian that says it's impossible to build a boat out of wood that's that size. It's so big, in fact, it would be impossible to clarify, it would be possible to build, it just wouldn't function as a boat due to being incredibly fragile thanks to the Euler-Bernoulli beam theory and other physics. That'll be enough for some skeptics. <laughs> Noah's Ark is impossible. It's physics. How many of those skeptics actually know physics? You can look up the Euler-Bernoulli beam theory, and yes, it, it relates length to stability. What it doesn't do here, what this 
didn't do for this writer is tell you, okay, exactly what size would be too big. I'm going to tell you that. Would the size of Noah's Ark really be too big? You couldn't build that out of boat? Well, any kind of theory that runs up against facts has to go out. There's a theory that there's no such thing as a black swan ends as soon as you find a black swan. One point of fact, ancient peoples did build boats that size, and they worked. Uh, Ptolemy Philopater, back in the third century BC, had an Egyptian warship, 130 meters long. Maybe that was 137 meters, so it's quite comparable in size. And that was a warship. It had to be pretty stable. They had a stable 130 meter long ship. And these guys are telling that 137 meter long ship that uh, just supposed to float there couldn't be done. Wrong. They did not do their homework. Early uh, 15th century, China actually had a, was right in there in world exploration, early part of the Ming dynasty. Uh, and under the command of Admiral Zheng He, uh, they had built a fleet of up to 300 vessels and, and made huge voyages of exploration around Southeast Asia and India and even Africa. And his ships were between 120 meters and 137 meters long. So the longest ones were the length of the ark. And they were built of wood and they worked fine. You will find most often when skeptics challenge the Bible, they haven't done their homework. They do not know what they're talking about. They're simply passing on something they heard and it's bogus. And sometimes you hear this one, there's no evidence of a worldwide flood. And even some professing Christians who, who reject the global flood and say it was just local, they will say that no evidence. Which makes no sense because the evidence is all around. The evidence you'd expect to find or should find is sedimentary layers full of fossils. Some of them in extremis evidence that they died suddenly. And they're continent-wide in extent. So what else could you have if not continent-wide to prove that it was worldwide? And the evolutionists would deny it. They have to make all kinds of ad hoc arguments about changing sea coast level, sea uh, boundaries and so on to try to get rid of the evidence for the worldwide flood. It's there. We have marine fossils at the top of the highest mountains. When Edmund and Hillary made it up to the top of Mount Everest, he found at the top of it, fossils of creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean. How do you get those fossils up to the top of Mount Everest if Everest was not ever covered with water? Uh, the geomorphology of all kinds of features around the earth, flat top plateaus, for example, uh, that cannot be explained, except they're all formed underwater during a massive flood, and yet they're all over. But the argument should have ended. Uh, this actually came out uh, earlier this year. Ooh, look at that. Earth may have been a water world without continents three billion years ago, study suggests. Okay, we can ignore the dating because that's based on bogus methods, but they found, according to studying the morphology of the Earth, they found that around three billion years ago, Earth may have been covered in water, proverbial water world. So the evidence is there in space that yes, the Earth was once upon the time the entire thing was covered with water. So all of the arguments against the story of Noah's Ark are bogus. Why are they made? Why is there this strong eagerness to deny Noah's Ark? Well, we read this in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3b to 7. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This just keep going on and on, same as always. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water in the wa and in the water, creation which they deny, they willfully forget, 
by which the world that then existed perished being flooded by water. They willfully forget this. They don't want to remember that. They do not want to admit God as creator, and they do not want to face the reality that God can and will execute wrath on you if you mock him and disobey him. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. So this is why they deny it. They're choosing not to. They willfully forget this thing. And it's particularly dangerous. Why? Well, Jesus warned us of this in Matthew 24, 37 to 38. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's his warning. Life just goes on. The same old, same old, everything. Nobody's paying attention. Nothing's unusual. Nothing's different. All the way until the judgment falls. Even with this, this COVID thing, like Remember back in December, January, February, some interesting news out of China, but nobody saw this coming. It hit us like a ton of bricks. This is where our society is now, going about their business, uh, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. That's where we are now, our society. They're denying the flood and getting help from some Christians doing that. At times, God is not going to judge, not worrying about that, just going about our business, not scared of the wrath of God, which have a 100% mortality rate. Uh, but the judgment is coming, folks. It is coming. Is this COVID one of the end time pestilence, one of those plagues that you see appearing and reappearing in the book of Revelation, the apocalyptic vision of the end times? I don't think it is, honestly, because it's just not virulent enough to match what's in the book of Revelation, where one third of the world's population dies. We haven't had anything like that since the Black Death. This is not it. Unless <laughs> it's like it's a lot worse. I don't think this is it. But here's what I think it is. I think it's a warning. Because God sends warnings. Yeah? Psalm 53 verses 4 to 5. I have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people. They eat bread and do not call upon God. There they are in great fear where no fear was. You don't have to go back far. A couple of months you see if no fear, arrogance, mocking God, going about their business, economy's great, everything's wonderful, hunky-dory, nothing to be afraid of. And now, just almost overnight, look at the fear around you. Great fear where no fear was. And it's a warning from God, I think. And if we don't heed this warning, what happens? Isaiah 66, 4. So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. What you fear, fine, that's you're going to get that. Because when, why? When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. And when God brings their fears on them, people say, oh, God is so mean. That's not fear. Why is he doing that? What's right there? He is calling and you're not answering. He is speaking. They are refusing to hear him. Instead, they do evil before his eyes. They don't care. What God says, we're just going to be as nasty as we want to be. They choose that in which he does not delight. And you can have every single person on the planet denying that there's a God, denying that he will judge, but it will not change the reality. Let God be true and every man a liar. Judgment is 
coming. And so here, Noah stepped off the ark with his family, saw a completely different world. Is this quarantine for us going to end? Is the world going to be different? Maybe. But the important thing is for your world to be different. Think carefully. If you do not know God through Christ, you need to do it. If, if you, you believe it, but just the idea in the back of your head, like the earth is round or something like that, doesn't make a difference in your life, it's time for it to start making a difference in your life. Whatever else comes out of this, get to know God, get to follow God through Christ. That should be your new world because judgment is coming. Folks, I don't know when, but it is coming. So get right with God. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.